like that several of Jesus' post-resurrection sightings. Because remember, Jesus had died. He rose from the dead. The women were the first one to see him at the tomb. Um, Peter saw him. We talked, I think, a couple of weeks ago about um, the two disciples that was on the road in Emmaus. And they were talking to Jesus. They didn't know it was him. Jesus showed up at the disciples. The doors was locked. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas came. Jesus came the second time. So there have been some appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. Look with me. Hold your finger in John 21 and go back to Matthew chapter 28. It seems as though when Jesus showed up to these disciples after his resurrection, remember they were scared, they were in fear, they doubted. Matthew chapter 28, looking at verse 10, every time he showed up, according to the Gospels, he left them instructions of what they were supposed to do next. They had been following him for three years. They went through the most traumatic week of their life. Now that he was back, he was telling them what you need to do. So in Matthew 28, he says to them, he just rose from the dead. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and I will meet them there. Okay? So they're at the tomb. They're looking at Jesus. Oh, my goodness, he's alive. Jesus said, go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. Skip down to verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, watch this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit through Son. Go. Go make disciples. Go preach what you just saw. Next book over, Mark records what Jesus said to them after he rose from the dead. Specific instructions that Jesus gave his disciples, Mark chapter 16. So Mark chapter 16, uh, this is right after the two on the road to Emmaus were walking. Remember they were walking and this guy was talking to them and they found out it was Jesus. They ran back and told the disciples, yo, we just saw Jesus. He was talking to us as we were walking down this road. Afterwards, verse 14, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him when he was risen. Verse 15, and he said, watch this, instructions after the resurrection. Go, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the entire creation. Luke chapter 24 is pretty much the exact same account as the Mark account. 36 says, as they were talking about these things, these are the two disciples on the road to Emmaus again. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Jump down to verse 46. And he said to them, it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all his nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He said that. You are witnesses. You need to now go out and proclaim to the world the fact that I died, the fact that I rose again, and make disciples. Teach people what you've seen here. 
teach them the gospel so they can grow in a knowledge and understanding of Christ. He gave them specific instructions of what they were supposed to do. The book that we're in today, the book of John, chapter 20, verse 19. Peace to you. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. And he said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Specific instructions. I'm sending you where? To the whole world. I want you to go and preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The fact that you have rebelled against God. You've chosen your own way, and because of that, you will die eternally, physically, and spiritually. But God loves you that he himself came down to take your punishment for your sin, and now you have an opportunity to live and have life eternally. Jesus told them to go preach the gospel. So think about that. You're a disciple. You just saw your, your, your leader killed. Now you see him. He's back. He's alive. He's eating fish with you. Your energy, you're getting pumped. You're getting excited. He's like, okay, guys, I'm back. Yeah. Now, go into the world and preach the gospel. All right. Chapter 21, verse 3. Start at verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. Jesus had just given them specific instructions. <laughs> they had just seen the risen, powerful glory. He walked through a wall. Suppose Jesus just walked through a wall in here and said, okay, guys, we're going to Claremont. We're going to Orlando. Let's go preach the gospel. I'm going. I'm, 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 I'm probably sprinting, just a full sprint. Peter, hey, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to go fishing. Anybody? Yeah, I'm, let's do that. Let's go fishing. Now remember, Peter, that whole crew right there were fishermen. When Jesus first showed up in the first part of John, they were fishing. They were with their father. Peter, his brother Andrew, they were fishing. And the Bible says Jesus showed up to them and he says, I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that Peter and Andrew dropped their fishing nets and started to follow Jesus. He went over to this guy named Zebedee. Zebedee was, he used to run areas of that time, of that town. He was a big balling area. And he had two sons. One was James, one was John. They were fishermen like their father. The Bible says that Jesus went to Zebedee's area. He saw James and John. They were fishing. And he said to them, leave your nets and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said that what you're doing right now is cool but I have something greater for you to do. So I want you to leave your past, leave your old way of doing things, and I want you to now follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that John and his brother James dropped their fishing nets and began to follow Jesus. And they followed Jesus for three years. They saw miracles. They saw him turn water to wine. They saw him heal folks who were blind. They saw people who couldn't walk get up and walk. They saw people who were dead come to life. They saw people who were possessed by demons free. They saw Jesus' best friend, one of his best friends, Lazarus, dead for days. They saw all of a sudden him rise again. They saw this. They ministered with Jesus for three years. They saw him die. They saw them beat him. 
Peter, I am cursed. I don't blame you to blame know that man. He denied him three times. Jesus showed up again, alive. They decided, after seeing all that, that they were going to go back to their old way of doing things. Go back to their old life. It, it blows my mind, but it reminds me. Someone who saw all of that, how could they then go back into their old way of doing things? How could they, what they've seen with their own eyes, what they've heard? They, they were sitting there one day, and it was over 5,000 people hungry. And one of them, Andrew, said, uh, Jesus, these folks need to eat. What are we going to do? And Andrew said, well, it's this kid. He got two, fishes of, two fish and five loaves of bread. She said, bring them here. He took that, multiplied it. Thousands and thousands of people ate. They saw this. And they decided after seeing all that, you know what? Let's go back to what we were comfortable with. Let's go back to our old way of doing things. If it was that easy for those guys, it hurts me to think how easy it is for us. But we've seen God move. We've got examples. You can pull up. We can have a testimony service right now and go for the rest of the day of all the things that God has done for us. But often we find ourselves not obeying what Christ said, not obeying what the risen Lord who walked through a wall, who got up from the dead, said, Olu, you need to go do this. And I'm like, yeah, but I think I'm going to go fishing. Because I've been fishing Longer than I've been, and, I, and I've been seeing some stuff you do, but you don't understand what I got to go through. You understand what I got to deal with. You don't understand, sometimes it's hard because I'm, and we go back to our old way of doing things. Breaking old habits is hard, even for these guys. Our normal our, our natural tilt or our natural leanings is always toward things that don't involve God. And I said natural because that's outside of God. When we're not walking with God, we're not in Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians. Our natural leanings, our natural tendencies are to do things that don't line up to what God says. You've seen um, um, in, in physics... They call this the law of entropy. The law of entropy says that everything wants to be at its most calm, rested state. I'd rather be sitting down than standing up. I'd rather be laying down than running a marathon. Because this is my most comfortable state. In order for me to get from my comfortable state, energy needs to be applied. Um, think about, anybody ever boiled some water before? You take your pot, you put water in it, you turn on your stove, and you put the water on the pot. What's going to happen, you're going to see nothing happening for a few, a few minutes. Nothing is happening. Then all of a sudden, you start seeing little bubbles moving in the water from the bottom up. As the bubbles begin to move, they get more and more and more and more, and then the bubbles begin to pop at the top, and then when they pop at the top, you'll see steam coming up. 
And the more that water is connected to that energy source, the more movement you see, and you see movement, and you see energy. Work is being done, okay? Uh, uh, when we think about energy, for any physics people in the house, heat, the boiling of the water that forms those bubbles and steam is, comes from thermal energy. Now, thermal, I wish I had a pen. I would write this on the wall. I don't have one. Uh, but thermal energy is equal to the mass of an object, uh, uh, a constant called specific heat, times, watch this, the change in temperature. The change in temperature. So there was an initial temperature, 30 degrees, and then there was a final temperature, 100 degrees. So if I start at 30 and I end at 100, what's the change in temperature? 70, very good. <laughs> the change in temperature was 70 degrees. That change in temperature, when there's a change in temperature, energy is involved. Without the energy, when I turn that heat off, oh, that water's still going to be warm for a little bit. But what's going to happen? The movement is going to stop. It's going to be... Relax. You're not going to see steam firing out anymore. Why? Because the energy is turned off. Because I've been removed from the heat source. Right. I've been removed from the energy. There's no change. Jesus told his disciple, you've just been changed. You went from one position of being scared out of your mind, being in fear that it was coming to kill you, to now looking face to face to the risen Lord. You went from fishing with your daddy on a boat to now fishing Becoming fishers of men with Jesus Christ. Watching the miracles done. There's been a change in your life. With that change comes energy. With that energy, there needs to be something going on. The disciples said, ah, let's go back fishing. We, we, don't, have the, we don't have the energy. They forgot about the change. The change from where they were to where they've been. And because of that change, saints, there needs to be energy. The, 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 the heat source, you know what that is. It's the Holy Spirit. That's God. When you separate yourself from the heat source, you're not going to get the bubbles. You're not going to get the energy. You're not going to get the get that steam coming up. Why? Because you're separated from the heat source and there's no change. The Bible says we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, be filled or controlled. The word there is controlled with the Holy Spirit. That word control has to do with, it's an interesting word because it means a couple of things. One of the words it means to furnish. Anybody, anybody, anybody bought a new house? Anybody? Anybody just bought a new house? Just bought, oh, we have people who bought a new house. In your house, there are rooms. Those rooms are empty. And you have to do what? You have to fill them. You have to furnish the room. What does furnish mean? That means this room is designed for X, Y, Z. And so I'm going to put in all the things necessary that are required so this room can fulfill its purpose. I'm furnishing the room. 
Paul said you must be furnished by the Holy Spirit means that your responsibility, you need to make sure you have everything in you so that you can function like the room you're supposed to function in. Be controlled by the Spirit. The word also means to manage or to supply. And it has a sense of to the maximum, to the max. Paul says that you need to be filled to the max. You need to be controlled to the max. The Holy Spirit should have his hand on your thermostat, on your knob, and that thing should be turned all the way to the max so that there is a change in your life which produces energy, which produces you doing something for the kingdom. Your natural tendency is... Your natural tendency is, well, he cussed me out. Well, I'm about to cuss him out because that's what I'm used to. Let's go fishing. That's, 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 that's where I'm from. That's what I do. I can, I can quickly go back over here because my daddy taught me how to fish. So you want to act a fool? I can act a fool too. <laughs> Let's go fishing. Oh, you want to talk, you, you, you want to do all this other stuff? Well, I can do it too. I don't have to put in energy because I'm, listen, I'm over here. It's safer over here. It's easy over here. It ain't hot over here. The Bible says, Jesus said, Paul said, make sure you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read this, um, that word control. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21. The word the, word, the Greek word there is pletho, for control by the Holy Spirit. That word means introducing one thing into another so as to affect it throughout and to the maximum. The Holy Spirit, Paul said, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to be introduced into your personage so that it will affect you through and through, to the maximum, and it provides provision for all the essentials to perform the necessary function. The disciples, after all they've seen, they said, let's go fishing. And the danger that we also have to worry about. Not only is our normal tilt or our normal leniency not the things of God. Go fishing. Our normal leniency is disobedience. God told him. Matthew wrote it. Mark wrote it. Luke wrote it. John wrote it. Jesus showed up. Go. Go. Go preach. Go proclaim. Go make disciples. What did they do? Not a thing. Their natural tendency was to be disobedient to what Christ had for them. Their natural tendency, and this is sad, is rebellion. Because that's what disobedience is. If I tell David to do something, he doesn't do it. That's not rebellion. Like, uh, who are you, Olu? <laughs> but when the creator God, John said, I wrote this so you will believe that Jesus is God creator. When the creator God walks through a wall and tells you to do something and you say, eh, let's go fishing. That's rebellion. Our natural tendency is to go against God is rebellion. Our natural tendency is to do what I want to do. Whether it's right or wrong, I'd rather just do what I want to do. I don't feel like doing that today. I don't feel like it. I'd rather do this. I'm more comfortable doing that. 
Look at the impact of that, not only for Peter's life, but when we look at verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Peter made a decision, and six other disciples followed him. When we retreat, when we go back to our old habits, when we go back to our life before Christ, when we go back of fishing, the unfortunate consequence of that is it just doesn't affect us. It also affects those around us. When they see, I thought you were, oh, you going fishing? Okay, well, guess I'm going fishing too. Now we're all fishing. Now we're all in the boat. Now we're all in disobedience. Now we're all in rebellion. Why? Especially for us as husbands, especially for us as men. When we decide to be disobedient and rebellion and go against God and go back fishing, guess who else is going to end up fishing with you? Your wife, your kids, your cousin. I don't know why I said cousin, but everybody. <laughs> because that's what happens. Because everyone's natural tendency is to go fishing. Everyone's natural tendency is to lean toward not doing the things of God. And so when they see you as a leader doing it, it's like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing now. The opposite of that is so true. When we as men, fathers, brothers, leaders, women, mothers, everybody, when we say, you know what? I used to fish. I used to follow my old way. I used to be in rebellion. I used to do what I wanted to do. I used to lean toward things and reactions outside of God. But I've, there's been a change in temperature. There's been an energy that's been implied when the Holy Spirit turned up and allowed him to turn up, and now I'm furnished with everything I need to function, not here in Lazy Town Fishing, but now over here with energy bubbling, being fishers of men. And they will follow you. They will follow you. They followed Peter. When they were in the, in the, in the garden, and the soldiers came, Peter picked up his sword and started chopping folks out. And the other side was like, word, this is what we're doing? Let's do it. The result of what we see in verse 3, they caught nothing. Of course they caught nothing. Because going back fishing, going back to your old habits, going back to your old way of doing things always results in nothingness. There's nothing over there. It's a waste. It's unfulfilled. It's pathetic. It's fruitless. Why? Because you're outside of what God said do. And so there is no fulfillment there. The Bible said they fished all through the night and caught absolutely nothing. But thanks be to Jesus. Verse 4 said, just as day broke, Jesus stood on the shore. I wonder if Jesus is tired of this. See, I keep telling these fools <laughs> to do this, do that. Every time I come back, they're doing something different. <laughs> I said, Go preach. I'll be right back. I come back. They fishing. <laughs> Thank God for his patience for us. Amen. Just as the day were breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them from the shore, they're in their boats, children, do you have any fish? And we all know the sarcasm of Jesus. From rip, Jesus is sarcastic. Hey, y'all catch any fish out there? 
They answered, no. And he said to them, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved, who was that? That's John. Said to Peter, Peter, hey, yo, man, <laughs> that's Jesus. They were far enough that they couldn't tell who it was. But when they cast the net on the other side and they caught a little fish, John was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's not an old man walking on the beach. Hey, Peter, you know what it is, right? And Peter, in Peter fashion, <laughs> what did Peter do? Hey, guys, let's turn the boat. Hey, guys, let's get this fish, turn the boat. No, no, no. The Bible said, when Simon Peter heard of the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped it off for work and threw himself into the sea. He just dove into the water and started swimming toward Jesus. The other disciple came to the boat, dragging in a net full of fish, and they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. When they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. That word charcoal fire, take that, take your imaginary pen, write a circle around that. We're going to come back to that. They saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out already on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you caught. I already got fish here, by the way. But bring some of that stuff y'all just caught this morning. So Simon went aboard and hauled about 153 fish. There were so many. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Thanks be to Jesus, because he showed up again and again and again and again. It's that song we sing about he, he pursuing, his love pursues us. His love chases after us. He came, the disciples were scared. He walked in, fear not, it is I. Thomas wasn't there. The disciples told Thomas, oh, yo, Jesus here. Thomas was like, what? I'm not believing y'all until I see it myself. Until I touch my hand and his holes and his side and his hands and his feet, I won't believe. Jesus' word, next time Jesus showed up. Jesus continued to show up in that disbelief. Because... You have to understand, Jesus don't want you going back fishing. And the assumption is he's changed your life enough and shown you enough things. This man was dead. And now he's singing. What else you need to see? What else you need to see? Why are you still going back to your bad habits? We got walking miracles here. Jesus is like, what, what else I need to do? Why are you still cussing folks out? Why are you still not reading your Bible? Why are you still not showing up? Why, why are you still not witnessing? Why are you not telling people? Why are you not living how you're supposed to live? Why are you still doing this? What else you need to see? But the Bible says that Jesus kept showing up, and he showed up to his disciples again. On the shore. They only found, and notice, they only found what they were looking for in their obedience. When Jesus yelled, take your nets that you've been fishing with all night and caught nothing, throw it on the other side of the boat. When they obeyed, and immediately when they obeyed, what happened? The blessings came. They were able to receive what they were intending on doing only in their obedience. Keep going fishing. Keep finding yourself in the same spot, doing the same thing outside of God. 
You're going to find yourself in a fruitless, worthless, pathetic life. Oh, oh, you'll get some things. You'll get some money here and there and, 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 and some fame maybe once in a while. But I promise you, the end result, nothingness until we surrender to obedience. Are you looking for fulfillment in your life? There's only one way. Obedience to God. Are you looking for, what's my purpose in life? Oh, you can, I think my purpose, I'm going to go fishing. Keep, go ahead. You only find your purpose in life in obedience to God. The scene shifts in verse 15 for the rest of the chapter. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and so we turn to a dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And just as a reminder, a couple of days before, a couple of days before when Jesus was being persecuted and before they killed him, Peter had denied Christ three times. And now we give Peter a bad rap. But they asked him, Aren't, don't you know Jesus? He said, no, I don't know him. Well, don't you know Jesus? No, I, I'm telling you. I, I don't know him, dude. Never seen him in my life. I think you're with him. Blankety blank. I don't blankety blank know that blankety blanker. And the Bible says when he cursed his Lord and Savior out, the Bible says Jesus walked by and their eyes met. And the rooster crowed three times, and Peter remembered. Shame. Peter had been living with this shame. He had seen God. Remember, who was the first one to run to the tomb when they heard? Peter. That's that guilt. That's that shame that he had in front of all his boys. He, he cursed out Jesus in front of his boys. His denials was public. It was a public denial. Guilt. Ransacked with guilt. And shame. It's funny to me how quick he got out of that boat. I wonder what he was thinking. Then Jesus pulled him to the side and he said, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time. I wonder why he did it. I wonder why I went three times. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible says Peter was hurt. It hit him. He asked me this three times because I denied him. He began to think about that moment when he was there. By the way, remember what was, what was on the shore? I told y'all to circle. Charcoal fire. Jesus had made a charcoal fire, and he pulled Peter and had a conversation. Keep your finger right there. Go back two chapters to John 18. Look at verse 18. This is when Jesus was in his trial. Now, the servants and officers had made a what? Charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing there warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing warming himself. And then he goes on to talk about how Peter denied Christ three times. And his guilt, I'm sure he remembered this, everything. He remembered the scene. 
remember the faces of those who were around the fire, and I'm sure he could smell the burning of that charcoal. Every night he was tossing and turning, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe. And it was so real to him, so vivid, such that Jesus in his restoration, Jesus in his forgiveness said, you denied me three times publicly, you cursed me out. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to restore you by asking you this question three times. Oh, by the way, I'm going to paint the same scene that was there too. Let's come around this charcoal fire. That's the restoration of a loving Savior. Now, there's been theologians who go back and forth about, because when you look at the Greek portion here, there's two different words for love. First is agape. He asked him, uh, uh, do you agape me? And then Peter said, I phileo you. Two words for love in the Bible. There's agape, there's three words, but one of them is agape. One is phileo. That's where we get our word Philadelphia from, Philadelphia brotherly, city of brotherly love. And then there's another word, eros. So there's agape, phileo, and eros. And when you look at the Greek, how John wrote this, he wrote Jesus' first question was, do you agape me? Love. And Peter said, yes, I phileo you. It's hmm, a different word. Then Jesus asked him again, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you. Why do you use two different words? And then the third time, Jesus said, do you phileo me? And then the Bible says that's when it hit him. Oh, that's right. I know what's happening here. God, you who created and know all things, know that I phileo you. And then some, some folks say, well, you know, he asked him about the God love, agape, and he only responded with phileo love. Eh, maybe. But you have to remember one thing. They weren't speaking Greek. This conversation was in Aramaic. And in Aramaic, love is love. It's that they don't have those nuances. The Greek transcript or the Greek language actually takes what emotions or, or, or the nuances and can separate those words. Also, all throughout scripture, especially the way John uses the words agape and phileo, it seems to use them interchangeably. Sometimes he's talking about Jesus. He said, for the father phileos the son. Like, Wait a minute. God's love is supposed to be agape only. But when you see in John, John seems to use these words interchangeably, just like he does feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Those two different words meaning the same thing. I don't think the emphasis, and then the question becomes, well, why did John use those specific words? I don't think the emphasis was on the type of love he was talking about. I think what John was saying was, look how the conversation went. When you get down to that phileo love, that phileo, and I'm going to read this. Um, this is this guy who, who um, does a lot of words, uh, translation of words. Uh, his name is um, Marvin Vincent. Uh, he says this, uh, to love is expressed in two words in the New Testament, phileo and agapo. Agape, agape indicates a reasoning, discriminating attachment founded in the conviction that its object is worthy of esteem and entitled to it on account of benefits bestowed. A lot of big words. Emphasizes a, a mental aspect of love. Phileo represents a warmer, more instinctive settlement. It's more a closely aligned with feeling and more closely aligned with passion. I think what Jesus was doing and what John was trying to show us was he was telling Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. You love me? Love me. But do you passionately, intimately love me with all your being? And that's when it hit Peter. 
What did he say? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. He threw that you know everything because God knows his heart. Peter was saying, I might jack up. I might mess up. I might jump into the water too quick. I might pick up my sword and start swinging it when I'm not supposed to. But God, you know, I love you. I might be out here fishing. I might be in my disobedience right now, but I love you. And so Jesus said, well, because you love me, then do. Love is an action word. And each time Peter had that conversation with Jesus, Jesus said, if you love me, then do, 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 do something. What did he say? Well, the first thing we know, the Bible says in John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the first action that comes with love is obedience. If you love God, you obey God, period. You can't love God and not obey God. It doesn't work. You can say you love him all you want. The proof of the pudding is in your obedience. So while you're obeying God, you are showing God you love him. When you go back fishing, you're saying, God, I hate you. You're cursing him out just like Peter did in front of that charcoal fire. The first response to love is obedience. The second response, Jesus said here, then go feed my sheep, feed my lamb. The word there means work. It has to do with promoting the spiritual wellness in others. Jesus said, if you love me, first you're going to obey me. Secondly, if you love me, you're going to be all about promoting the spiritual wellness of other people. That's how you know you love God. That's the responsibility. How am I promoting others' spiritual wellness? I take it myself because that's the obedience part. Now... My love is by showing, helping others get spiritual. Where you at? You fishing. Mm -mm. We got to get you from fishing. Come on. You're fishing. You're, you're, you're not well over here, not spiritually well. I need to help. I need, you're eating the wrong stuff. What are you eating? I told my kids all the time. I got a house full of athletes. I woke up one morning. Uh, they're eating a bowl of cereal, honeycomb cereal. So I pick up. I just pick the box up, and I turn it to the side. I say, baby, let's look at this. Let's look at how much sugar is in here and how much added sugar is here. You see, 18 grams of added sugar. I said, you know what that is? 18 grams of added sugar. So if I, could if I took a spoonful of sugar and just kept... I'm still putting sugar. And I take that cup of sugar, pure sugar, and just started doing this. It's sugar, so it don't go down easy. You said it looked good? <laughs> you're, you're athletes. You're, you're athletes. You're eating a bowl of sugar. Oh, by the way, and that's just for the serving, which is one cup. You know what a cup is. A cup is about like that. When you pour a bowl of cereal, you got like four or five cups in that bowl. So you're pretty much eating all the sugar you're supposed to consume in a day. You're having that for breakfast. That's not promoting wellness. Okay? That's not promoting wellness. And so I go to them, I say, you need to eat some protein, 
Okay? You need to, uh, she, she loves waffles. Her breakfast is bread with syrup on it. Syrupy bread. That's what she eats. Sugar bread for breakfast. I said, baby, you're supposed to be an athlete. Okay? Where's your protein? Where's your eggs? Where's your vitamins? Why? Because I want to promote wellness because she needs to function as an athlete. So to function as an athlete, I need to promote health and wellness. Jesus said, if you love me, not only will you be obedient to me, you will also see your brothers and sisters eating a bowl of honeycomb, spiritual honeycomb, knock it out of the hand and say, let's go have some apples. Let's go have some turkey bacon. Let's go have some grilled chicken. Let's have some broccoli, spiritual broccoli. That's what Jesus said. You will promote the spiritual wellness of others. How are you promoting other spiritual wellness? No priority, no love. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? More than, and I don't know if he was talking about the fish. I don't know if he was talking about the fishing. Because he said, if you love me, why are you here? Am I priority in your life, Peter? Am I supreme in your life? Am I superior in your life? That becomes the question that you got to ask yourself. Because you can say it, but you're fishing. You can talk it, but you're fishing. And today, Jesus is walking into your life, and he cooked a fire. He's got charcoal fire, and he's sitting there, and he's saying, come on over. Let me talk to you, Layla. Let me talk to your ex. Let me talk to you, Helen. Let me talk to you. Do you love me? I know you're living your life and you're doing what you do, but do you love me? Am I priority in your life? Am I superior in your life? A life where God isn't superior, a life where God isn't priority, a life of no love, a life of no action, a life of no obedience, a life of no spiritual wellness, a life of not promoting spiritual wellness is a fruitless, empty life. Think of a, the power if a woman decides that, you know what? I'm going to love Christ as superior in her life. And her love for Christ takes priority. And she registers what God says as significant, and she pays attention to it carefully. And she's consumed with promoting the spiritual well-being, the spiritual wellness of others by furnishing and cherishing and supplying what's need for their spiritual well-being. Think about a man. Think about a teenager. Think about a college student. Think about a teammate. Think about a co-worker who set God as priority. Think of the power that they would have. Think of the transformation that will happen all around them. With all the loves, Jesus asked Peter. In the end, Peter denied Christ three times. Christ forgave him and restored him three times in front of an audience. The disciples, I'm sure they, they begin to get it too. Like, oh yeah, I see what he's doing. Because I was there when Peter cussed him out. Your restoration, God will show the world. And he wants to show the world because remember his initial command, go and preach the gospel. Don't go fishing, go tell the world. There's a kingdom that you need to influence for me. Your future doesn't have to be determined by your failures. I'll say it again. It's like a t-shirt or Facebook quote. 
Your future does not have to be determined by your failures. Peter failed. He failed miserably. He failed hard. He failed publicly. But his future was not determined by that. Jesus went on and told him, he said, listen, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to go where you want, do not want to go. Jesus said this to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God with. Now, you might think, wow, he just told him how he was going to die. But think about it. Peter had been in guilt. He had been thinking, what am I? Am I the type of person when it gets hard, I'm just going to quit? Jesus told him that day on his restoration that, Peter, you are going to stay with me for the rest of your life such that they're going to kill you because of your commitment and your love and the priority that you set for me. And I'm sure Peter was like, because remember the whole time people said, Lord, I'll never leave you. Leave him. Lord, I'll never deny you. Denied him. Peter's like, I'm just a failure. I have all these good intentions, but I keep falling on my face every time. Jesus said, don't worry, this time. Your love for me, your priority, you're going to take ride that all the way. Such that they're going to take you out of here because of the love and the passion and the obedience that you have in my life. Your failures don't have to be the end of your life, guys. God can restore, but it takes obedience. It takes you like Peter to be like, you know what? I'm fishing. I'm jacking up again. But I'm about to jump in this water and go meet Jesus at the shore. Peter didn't think twice. He just jumped and went. That's what it takes. It takes that obedience. It takes that reaction. I'm not fishing. I'm going to do what God says. And folks, that's it. That's how John ends the book. He goes on, and I read the last chapter, the last verse, because it's so cool. Verse 24 said, this is a disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John said, everything I put in here is true. I'll stake my name and my life on it. And then he said, now, therefore, there are also many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you will have life in his name. Father, we thank you, Father, for just carrying us through this gospel, this wonderful gospel of your ministry, Father God. We thank you, God, how John wrapped it up, showing you pursuing us, Father, even when we go fishing, even when we go back to our old habits, even when we, after all we've seen and we've heard, you didn't leave us out there. You didn't leave them out there on that boat, Father. You came. You prepared a meal for them. You provided for them, Father, and you forgave and you restored. I pray, Father God, for those of us, under the sound of my voice, that we would jump off that boat of our old habits, jump off that boat of the old way of doing things, and jump in the pot and allow you as the Holy Spirit to grab the thermostat and turn it all the way up so there's a change in our lives, Father God so that we will show our obedience to you and our love, and then we will show our effort to help others become spiritual well, spiritually well in their obedience. We thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And that's the book of John. We did it.